0: Nathan Sykes' apartment was a mess. It would be difficult to find anything in it if something was needed. Dime novels and countless notebooks littered the floor. Dylan Griebel took a glance at some of the notes and found that they were ideas for books Sykes may one day write. Sykes himself was overweight and slovenly dressed. And his face wore an expression of thinking of something else somewhere far away. Dylan was asking him questions about the event ten years ago that damaged his career. I'd been beating my brains out trying to get ahead. What happens? I make one mistake, one lousy mistake, and they won't let me forget, ever. Is it that they don't let you forget, or you don't let yourself forget? Dylan asked. What are you, a doctor? Sykes shot back. Dylan didn't respond, and Sykes calmed a bit. Ah, uh, I suppose you're right. They say I should let it go. Stop thinking about it and stop chasing the hangman every time he pops up. That maybe if I focused on my recent cases a bit more, things would be better. I heard he's the guy Barson let go. That's right. Ten years ago now. Damn, has it been that long? You were after him for murder? Yep. Had already killed a few people. Because he got away, there are about a dozen more who aren't breathing no more. Plus the two that have died the last couple days. Three, Dylan corrected. There was a guy with Mancusi that was killed. Yeah, Maury. That's the second one. What about Barson himself? You don't think the hangman did that? No, of course not. Why would he? Sykes exclaimed. Why wouldn't he? Dylan asked. Sykes leaned forward like he was explaining something to a child. Because the hangman is Richard Barston's brother. Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Today we continue the Gamebusters' adventure, Death in Spades. The module is by Tracy Ray Hickman, and the story is game mastered and written by Jeff MacArthur. Maxwell was the first at the park this time, sitting on the usual bench. He had decided that he wouldn't wait as long as usual today because of all the chaos that was rampant throughout the city. If Vinny wasn't there close to the usual time, then something could be wrong and Maxwell didn't want to take a chance. Just before he was about to give up, Vinny rounded a nearby hedgerow. They hadn't seen each other in a couple days. But neither of them started with pleasantries. Maxwell immediately took the initiative. What's with all the sudden gang violence? Moose took over after Mancusi's death. He's not so interested in peace as the boss was. You think Moose killed him? Vinny was silent for a long while. Long enough for Maxwell to turn to look over at him. Finally, Vinny said, It's hard to imagine. He makes it seem like he's angry that someone else killed the boss, and he's trying to root out who it was. If you all beat the O'Connors and the Tolinos, it'll be the unrivaled syndicate. Yeah, Vinny said, considering and coming to the conclusion that Maxwell had a good point. Moose had always been loyal to Mancusi, but he had always had ambition. The question was, which had been the stronger? That could explain why Barson was killed as well, Maxwell said. He might be the only one within the family fold that could figure Moose out. Maybe he had, Vinny said, adding up the thoughts in his mind. If he had been working on something, he might have talked to the DA about it, Maxwell added. I've got a thought. That we drop everything and move out of the country, Vinny asked. I thought you were a tough gangster. Can't be tough when you're dead. Well, we can take Moose down. We meaning the police. What we need is a case against him, and evidence. How's the next person in charge? If Moose goes down, yeah, that guy will be okay. Okay, then. You check the offices to find out if there's anything we can prove against Moose, especially if it's about the murders, and I'll talk to the DA about any cases that are already open regarding Moose. Vinny didn't respond right away, so Maxwell glanced firmly over at him again. Clear? Clear, Vinny said, nodding as if to convince himself. Maxwell stood and walked away, leaving the unlikely partner to his thoughts. Frank Hickman was discouraged at the lack of progress he was making. He had been sent out to find people who may want Richard Barston dead, or, as Rockland had put it, to make a list of his enemies. This was obviously intended to create a suspect list in his murder investigation. The fact that Barston wasn't actually dead didn't change the importance of such a list. If Barston had faked his own death, it was likely so that he could go after his enemies so making his list would reveal who the next targets were. One of his first visits was to District Attorney Eric Johansen to see if he had any other suspects. Johansen told him that someone had just visited and informed him that Barston was still alive. Hickman was surprised until he remembered that A.J. had been with him. Then he cursed a little that she had revealed the information. Still, he acted surprised and asked if there was any further information. Johansen had none. Not a surprise. The current DA had been pretty useless the last couple years. After each investigation, Hickman called Maggie at the BOI office and reported what he'd found so it could be passed on to Rockman. She responded with someone else that Rockman wanted him to check out. Hickman didn't know most of these names, but they were apparently coming out of other investigations. During one of the calls, Maggie told Frank that the information he had left at the fingerprints lab was ready to be picked up. He was surprised that it had come back so quickly. He was then discouraged to find that the latest name that Rockland wanted him to follow up was someone who lived far out of town on a farm. It would take the entire second half of the day to follow it up, and would mean he'd have to wait until the morning to get the fingerprints. Then he thought of someone who could help. Amy Jo True's fingers were covered in black ink that had worn onto them as she flipped the newspaper pages from past issues she had dug out of the archives. She was searching for words and names related to Barston, Sykes, and The Hangman. She knew that Barston had faked his own death and disappeared. Sykes had been searching for the hangman, and someone had murdered Mancusi and an informant. All three were likely related, and A.J.'s theory was that Barston had believed Mancusi was out to kill him. So he had had the hangman help him fake his own death, then turned around and murdered his father-in-law. The two biggest problems with that theory was that it was very extreme to go into permanent hiding just to kill someone... And it was a stretch to believe that Alicia would go along with a plan that involved murdering her father, not to mention the fact that she would hire a private investigator only to find her out. Plus, who was the actual body at the morgue? These would be the questions Griebel and Hickman would have to answer to do their jobs. AJ's was less difficult in the realm of solving the murder, and more difficult in that she had to fill in the past to make a good story. So she was going through their histories to glean what she could about the suspects. AJ's phone rang interrupting her thoughts. She yanked it to her ear while keeping her eyes on her paper. Hello, she said. True, it's Ickman, came the voice. Yes, I can tell by your personable demeanor, she said. The fingerprints are ready at the lab, but Special Agent Rockland sent me on an errand out of town. Rockland, AJ interrupted. I thought you worked for a guy named Jackson. Jackson's out of town, apparently. Rockland's filling in. He's sending me out looking for Barston's enemies. This one's going to fill up the rest of my day. So I called over to the fingerprints lab and gave them your name if you're available to pick them up. Absolutely, AJ exclaimed, sitting up. Good. I'm trusting you not to print anything until I have a chance to see them too. I will drop by this evening. Grand, I'll be waiting for your call, AJ said, and they hung up. Wait. Detective Maxwell Nelson arrived at the DA's office in the early afternoon. He knew that getting there after lunch would be more productive. Eric Johansson wasn't the best DA they'd ever had, and his job performance tended to coincide with his own level of satisfaction. Walking in the front door, Nelson expected to be greeted by the DA's secretary, but she wasn't there. Nelson thought little of it. She was probably off at a late lunch and perhaps she forgot to leave a sign, so Detective Nelson stepped past her desk and knocked on the DA's door. No one answered, but the door swung slowly open. He pushed it the rest of the way. The door knocked against a foot he saw that the body was parallel on the floor still dead the body of the secretary eric johansson's body was further in leaning up against the desk she had bruising around the face the d a had visible stab wounds nelson drew his gun and scanned the room the window was open and a foot on the ledge stepped to the side nelson rushed to it he pointed his gun out and leaned to both sides searching for the perpetrator not seeing him on the ledge he figured the killer must be climbing down the three floors to escape. So he leaned out the window with his gun stiffly forward. Peering downward, he searched the walls, but found no one. The window slammed down on the back of his neck and he was pinned down onto the window sill. His pistol dropped out of his hand, so he tried to lift the window off his neck. It was no use, he had no leverage, but he didn't give up. The killer pushed harder and the window pressed Nelson's neck against the bottom frame. Just before Maxwell passed out, the killer lost his footing and had to choose between continuing to press and staying on the upper ledge. He chose the ladder, and Nelson was able to push up the window enough to stumble back into the room. He was choking, trying to catch his breath. Then the hangman swung into the room, feet first, kicking Nelson back against the desk. The detective found a paperweight on the DA's desk, and he held it out to defend himself. The hangman punched, and it hurt his hand. Nelson now took the initiative and swung twice at the hangman, hitting him with his second swing and sending the man reeling backward. He was stunned for just long enough that Nelson could run out. But he had the son of a bitch cornered. He was going to finish him off. So he stepped toward him with his fists up, ready to box. The hangman smiled. He came close enough to let Nelson punch him once across the face, then another time, punching downward right across the eye. This should make it harder for the hangman to see that Nelson knew he had him now. He pulled back, ready to give a large finishing blow. The killer ducked and pounced, putting all his energy into knocking back the cop. Nelson stumbled, and pulled one leg back to steady himself. But then he felt it hit something, one of the bodies. The foot tripped against it, and he fell backward, landing across the corpses. Nelson tried to get up, but he slipped across the bodies. He saw the killer coming at him, so he kicked. The hangman caught his leg and stabbed it. Detective Nelson screamed in pain. At least it might be loud enough to catch someone's attention. Hopefully. He kept struggling, kicking with his other leg while trying to back up with the use of his arms. The dead bodies continued to confound him, and he made no progress. He did get one kick into the chin of the killer, enough to leave a mark, but it wasn't enough. The hangman grabbed the leg and used it to flip Detective Nelson over on his chest. Nelson now used every ounce of energy and every bit of training he had to try to turn himself back around and get the killer off of him. He did manage to push him backward, pinning him against the desk. He had the man trapped. Now if he could hold him there long enough for help to arrive. He could hear feet clacking on the tile floor outside and voices chattering. It wouldn't be long. But then he felt cold metal bite into his back. Once near the lungs, then a second time near the heart. The sheer pain kept him from feeling anything else, even as he was thrown off. He could hear the killer get up and run. But Detective Nelson could not tell to where. He was trying to catch his breath and keep his heart beating. It was a battle he was quickly losing. He held on long enough to see several people appear at the door, horrified looks on their faces. And then Maxwell Nelson lost the battle for his life. A.J. arrived at the fingerprints lab and identified herself at the front desk. They had been expecting her. Hickman had called in to let them know she was coming. As she waited for them to bring up the information, she looked around curiously. Though the room she was in was merely the front office and resembled a bank teller, she was fascinated nonetheless especially with what she could see beyond the desk. Having a natural curiosity with all things, A.J. was particularly interested in rooms in which she was normally not allowed. It was a natural fascination with the taboo on overdrive, and she tried to take in as much as she could. After about a minute of waiting, someone came out with an envelope and handed it to her. Holding it in her hands, A.J. hesitated a moment, then asked, Is it common for fingerprints to be identified so fast? Not usually, the woman who had brought her the envelope said. But then again, fingerprints aren't usually so readily available to us. A.J. nodded, but didn't ask any further questions. She'd have them answered when she looked at the sheet, which she did as she walked out the door. Just on the opposite side of it, directly in front of the building, she stopped in her tracks, recognizing the name. She had to read over it a couple times to make sure it was the name of the person who belonged to the fingerprints and not someone who signed off on it. But there was no mistake. The body they had seen at the morgue that had been swapped with Richard Barston was Special Agent Edward Rockland. This has been a presentation of RPG Storytime, Gangbusters, a playthrough of Death and Spades by Tracy Hickman. Tune in next time to hear the continuation of the story. Subscribe to the channel to hear more tales of RPG games, or check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. You can also read books by the writer and game master of these stories by going to bandwagononline.com. We hope you enjoyed it, and happy gaming, everybody.